0: Welcome to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. Here, we settle into the murky, tangled, and freaking hard parts of life to restore our relationship with the self so it can ripple out to the people we love, the work we do, and the world around us. If we can't fix what's wrong, then our grandchildren inherit it. In order to fix what's wrong, we have to talk about it, and we can't move that conversation forward if we're not willing to be real about where we are now. We have to push on the edges of what it means to connect, otherwise nothing will ever change. I'm your host, Rebecca Wong, and I'm here to guide you through a series of radically honest conversations about what it means to be truly human in all of its messy, beautiful, hilarious, heartbreaking glory. In our collective effort of looking inward, we're starting to do the outward work of reconnecting the world. While these discussions will guide you into the connectfulness practice, this podcast is not meant to be a substitute for the depth of work that you'd encounter with a licensed provider. If something in this episode touches you, reach out, that's where you initiate the ripple that restores relationships. You can learn more about my Connectfulness Counseling practice and online workshops at connectfulness.com. Welcome back to the Connectfulness Practice Podcast. I'm really excited to share today's episode with you. I had the opportunity to sit down with my mentor, Terry Reel. Terry is an internationally recognized family therapist, speaker, and author. He founded the Relational Life Institute, offering workshops for couples and individuals, along with a professional training program for clinicians to learn his relational life therapy methodology. Terry's the best-selling author of books such as I Don't Want to Talk About It, How Can I Get Through to You, and The New Rules of Marriage. His newest release, Us getting past you and me to build a more loving relationship is currently available. Before we dive into today's conversation, I want to make a special note. Terry and I recorded this in February 2022, and that was before current events took place in the U.S., such as the shooting in Buffalo, New York, the shooting in Ovalde, Texas, the Depp and Heard trial that got a lot of attention in the news and the leaked decision from the Supreme Court to strike down Roe v. Wade. These events, along with many others, have roots in supremacy, patriarchy, and toxic individualism. Our omission of these events in this conversation isn't intentional, and we hope that the correlation between these events and the issues that we do discuss in this episode come through and further underscore the need for this collective work at every level, from the most intimate of our relations to the greater collective. And on that note, let's dive in. Welcome back, everybody. We are here today with a really special guest. We're here with Terry Reel, who is one of my teachers and mentors. And um, oof, I just noticed my whole body just started to shake as I started to introduce <laughs> you, Terry. <laughs> So um, you just wrote this beautiful new book um, called Us. And I, I love where this takes your work. I love the direction of this. Thank you. Yeah. I, I feel like it's a whole evolution. Like it's all of the work that you've been teaching for decades that is now offered in another way.
1: Thank you. I, I really do uh, feel... That it's the culmination of my uh, uh, 30-plus year career as a therapist, writer, teacher. Uh, It really does feel like it's all come together.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I feel that when I read it. Thank you. Yeah. And I'm I'm hopeful that everybody who listens to this will pick up a copy and will read it. It feels like it's a life-changing type of book, maybe culture-changing
1: type of book. Thank you. I hope so. Yeah. It's ambitious.
0: It is ambitious. Yeah. But what I, what I love about it is that like we're, we're taking, you're taking us on a journey as we read this book of looking at ourselves, but also of the culture that we live inside of.
1: Right.
0: And the effect that that culture has on us and how when we make shifts in our most intimate relationships and shifts in ourself, how that can really exponentially make bigger shifts culturally too.
1: Yeah. You know, Rebecca, I say, uh, we we may not be able to uh, bring peace to Ukraine, for example. Right. Uh, but we can bring peace to our living rooms and our bedrooms. Yeah. And uh, why don't we start with where we live? Yeah. Which
0: brings me right to one of the quotes in that first part of your book. And you say here, you'll learn how to reconnect first to yourself, your feelings, your needs, your desires, because great relationships start with your relationship to yourself. And then you'll learn the skills of a sophisticated and practical relationship technology designed to teach you how to get more of what you want in relationships with others. That's like such a beautiful explanation (laughs) of what this is all about. I find so often the people I work with don't get that when they're not in touch and reconnected with themselves, that, that that's a huge part of the issue.
1: Yeah, it is. And I think that's particularly true for women or it's true for both sexes in different ways. But, yeah, uh, uh, of course, 50 years of feminism and feminist psychology has shown us uh, and there's a lot of black and white research, starting with Carol Gilligan back in the uh, 80s. Uh, That women tend to over-accommodate, lose their voice, um, not allow themselves to be fully in touch with their wants and their needs and their desires for fear of what kind of response they're going to get. And also because a good woman shouldn't be so selfish. A good woman should serve the needs of, of others. Uh, so uh, being in touch with your voice is really critical. Mm-hmm. And uh, what's interesting to me, though, is traditionally under patriarchy, and as you've heard me say many times, patriarchy is the water we swim in and we're the fish, patriarchy, and the culture of toxic individualism that I go into a lot yeah. in, in the book. Anyway, um, Within that framework, uh, men don't have voice in their relationships either. A good woman uh, shouldn't speak up for herself uh, because uh, a a good woman shouldn't have any needs. She should serve the needs of others. A good man doesn't speak up for himself uh, because uh, what needs? What are you talking about? Men don't have any needs. Men are stoic pieces of wood. Uh, So... um, uh You know, one of the things I say is that under patriarchy, men have two emotions uh, that are allowable, uh, anger and lust. Mm-hmm. And other than that, that's really about it. Uh So uh, in order to be relational, women have to move into voice and men have to move into their hearts. And both men and women and non-binary folks uh, all have to move beyond patriarchy and the culture of individualism. Yeah.
0: You know, it, it's so interesting. I, I find that in my own marriage, that being able to speak up for what we want and need, for what we feel, is like, it, it's the ongoing crux of our marriage. It's the ongoing learning edge of of what's happening between us. And the more I speak up, the more I realize that maybe I'm even taking some air out of the room for my husband. Mm-hmm. and. You know, like, so, so there's this, uh, I don't want to take away space from him. And there's this dance that we're constantly learning and it's that constant learning. I think that's the, that's the work.
1: I think that is the work being relational. Yeah. Which is what, uh, uh, uh you know, the name of my therapy is relational life therapy. The, the name of the Institute is relational life Institute. I'm about teaching Uh, people how to live relational lives. And what it means to be relational is that you are responding to what's in front of your face.
0: Moment by moment, day by day.
1: Moment by moment, day by day. And, and, you know, people say uh, that relationships take work, but very rarely does anybody tell you what the work is. One of the things I say in uh, the book Us and in my work Uh, is the work of relationships isn't even day by day. It's moment by moment Mm -hmm. in this moment right now. What am I going to choose? Am I going to go with my mature self and uh, speak up, for example, even though I'm afraid? Or am I going to go with an immature part of me that's too frightened to speak or an immature part of me that when she does speaks barks and, uh, and, uh, where am I at in myself? You know, wh- one of the things, uh, the the first questions that I ask when I'm sitting with somebody is, is not what are the external stressors because good couples can handle stress. And, and it's not even what I taught you and others, uh, the dance, the, 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 more, crap, the more, yes, the more she pursues, the more he distances, the more he distances. That's really important, but that's not the mo- The most important question is this one which part of you am I speaking to? Yes. Am I speaking to the here and now, untriggered, prefrontal cortex, wise adult part of you? Or am I speaking to some flooded, immature, trauma-saturated part of you that uh, comes out of your past and your adaptation to it? This is huge. Yeah.
0: And I think this is like, If we could all learn, all of us, everybody who's listening, everybody who's listening, who knows somebody who also can learn this, like if we could all learn that when we can start observing what part of us we're acting from, reacting from, listening to things from, like when we can start observing which part of us is present, that's where everything can change.
1: Everything can change. And, and, you know, just the act of observing puts you in the wise adult self. Right. The act of observing uh, fires up the most mature part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, by definition, because that's the part of you that can observe. And uh, my pal, the German mystic Thomas Ubel, uh, has a lovely saying, to observe is to have choice. Because you're in the part of you that can stop and think and make a choice, as opposed to what I call you and me consciousness, as opposed to us consciousness, the adaptive child part of us, which is knee jerk, automatic. You do the same damn thing you did when you were a kid. You've been doing it for 30, 40 years, and uh, it just comes over you and you act it out. Right. You say in the
0: book, you say this thing, I've heard you talk about it before too, but I'm wondering if you can talk about it a little bit more right now. You say that, you know, most of us don't um, reenact the the experience of trauma itself. Right. Right? We relive it.
1: Right. Well, actually, the the quote is, um, you don't really remember trauma, you relive it. That's it. Uh, You you know, the the vet who hears a car backfire and spins around like he's in combat is not walking down thinking, I'm in Main Street remembering combat. He's flooded with being viscerally. His body is saying we're back. And, um, you know, you were yelled at by your dad as a little girl. And now your husband yells at you. And you're not thinking, oh, gee, this reminds me of when I was five and I was being yelled at. Your body, I call it whoosh, your body just goes through a wave of either however you reacted to that. You either felt shame and blamed yourself and you want to go make yourself small and hide. Or you're a fighter and you fight back and you wind up screaming. Whatever the adaptation is. Uh, is what gets triggered in our personal relationships, yeah. and most of us, certainly most of the couples I see, have lived most of their lives out of these adaptive child parts, thinking that those are adults, and they're they're not. They're, they're not the version of what an adult looks like.
0: Right. You know, I I um, I'm fortunate. I get to co-facilitate your boot camps. And uh, we recently taught one. Is it okay if I share a little story with you? Oh, a sure. personal one. So I recently co-facilitated a boot camp. Like a day or two later, my husband and I got into a fight. <laughs> <laughs> love how that happens, right? <laughs> and <laughs>
1: so I'm I, like teaching all these people I don't love each other and I have to put up with your bullshit.
0: A little bit like that, but a little bit different, right? And so we get into this fight and the essence of the fight boils down to, he didn't feel that I supported him. And he got really reactive about not feeling supported. And so I went into all my skills. I thought I was doing them all right. This is the good part of the story. (laughs) And I'm listening and I'm really understanding. spend like a good amount of time really just being in a listener mode and listening and understanding him, reflecting it back to him, acknowledging what I can, doing all of my skills. Wait, yeah, really good. Wait like a good amount of time. Sometime the next day, bring up some direct requests and bring them out there to him and say, hey, listen, here's just a few things that, that would really help me. And he wasn't able to meet me right there in that moment. And I went right into my whoosh because I went into, but my timeline, this, this is like my old stuff. And it was a huge learning moment for me around feeling inside of me, the difference between being able to tolerate his, I can't meet you there right now because I need to learn that you can also meet me here first. Mm. Right. And, uh, what I learned about myself in that moment, and this this is like critical for me, is that I became my mother. I became my parents in that moment. I was reacting something that I lived through as a child.
1: What was it? Rebecca? Can you do you mind naming Yeah, you?
0: it's totally okay. It was like the pressure of this is my schedule. This is, I need this now. Oh, yeah. Right. And so I, I went right into that place of I need this here now. And when he couldn't give me that, my world collapsed. Mm. Mm. But it, it just, I mean, it collapsed until I was able to observe it and see it and sit with it. And I have some wonderful friends through this line of work and, you know, I was able to, to hold myself and bring myself back. And it didn't take so long to bring wow. myself back, like really didn't take so long. Um, but I really attribute it not taking me long to the work and to, to living this work, to to being trained in this work, to understanding it, and to being able to shift into that observer.
1: Yes, us consciousness, like all. Yeah. It. The part of the brain that uh, can recognize that you're in a relationship. You know, my language for this, Rebecca, is um, remembering love. Yes. Remembering what the person you're speaking to is not an adversary, but there's someone you love. And the reason why you're speaking is to make things better. Exactly. And what that means is, if you can remember that, then you're in your adult self. And uh, that triggered, "I need it. I need it now." I'm, I'm behaving like that five-year-old girl. I'm behaving just like I saw my mom behave with my dad, or whatever. Yeah. That. Um, that's the adaptive child part of you. Right. And uh, what you did that was so gorgeous. Uh, is you got triggered, you had the whoosh, you were taken over by your autonom- automatic response. And then you took a break, you reached out for support from friends, you righted yourself, you got re yeah. And uh, then you were able to go back uh, into the fray with your husband and I'm sure it was better.
0: Oh my gosh. Like I can't even begin to tell you how much better it got because we were able to then talk about it and, and name it and really acknowledge it and grow from it. Yeah. It's beautiful.
1: Um, the, so there's a word for that.
0: Yeah,
1: it's called health.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Hey. You know, I, I have to say though, the work of moving into us consciousness is freaking hard because it means you also have to look at and reckon with parts of yourself that you might be struggling with.
1: Yes, that's true. You're you're in the picture. Yeah. And uh, it's so easy to look at our partners and uh, just blame them. I I say that in in one of the chapters, that most of the people who uh, see me uh, are what I call essentialists. My partner just is essentially blah, 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 and whatever your negative imagery is. I tell can I tell you a story yeah I'd love to I, I tell this story in the book it's a true story A guy comes to me very funny guy I, I grew to really get fond of him but he was pretty much a diamond in the rough and I, I ask him uh, as you know I begin most sessions with what would you like if this were to be a great success what would you get without hesitation he says me I want to get laid if I could get laid then this therapy would be successful yep yeah. Uh, And I brilliantly deduce he's not having the sex life with his wife that he would live. What's wrong? Why why aren't you? Uh, She's just cold. You know, she's frigid and she doesn't like sex and her whole family's cold and she's just a cold person. Okay. I bring in Harry's wife. And uh, I say, uh, okay, Mrs. Harry, uh, tell me about your sex life. She goes, what sex life? We don't have one. I go, well, why not? And she goes, Well, why would I want one? The guy's a lousy lover. He's had premature ejaculation for 20 years. He won't do anything to fix it. I won't, he won't talk to me about it. He won't take care of any of my needs. And every time I try and bring it up, he just gets mad at me and storms off. Mm-hmm. Now who wants him? I bring back Harry. This is my favorite part. And I say to Harry, Harry, I've got great news for you. <laughs> And the news, of course, is you and your partner are connected. This is an ecology. Yes. Our assistant, you have something to say about this. You know, our relationship to relationships in this culture is passive. Mm -hmm. You get what you get, and then you complain about it. And uh, us is all about empowering people to be proactive. Yes. Shape what they get with requests and with the moves they make on their side of the seesaw to kick out different responses from their partner. This is called working on your relationship. So, you know, get off your ass, stop focusing on what's wrong with them and ask yourself some questions about how you might handle yourself differently in order to get more of what you're wanting.
0: It's like kind of mind-blowing though, right? Like learning this stuff that. In order to get more of what I want out of my relationship, I have to focus on me, Mm. right? Like there's something about that, that I think is like a huge paradigm shift, at least for how we think inside of American culture.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because it's all about them, 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 and what miserable people they are. And we leave ourselves out of the equation. But, you know, a simple example. You come, your husband comes home. Your husband wants a romantic night. He comes home Thursday with uh, a bouquet of flowers, a babysitter in tow, and tickets to a show. Okay. That goes that way. He comes home Friday night. This place is a shithole. What have you been doing all day? And where's supper? Which of those two nights do you think is going to wind up in, a, in romance? Thursday. <laughs> Hello, you have something to say about how we start?
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's it's like, it's this ecology piece, right? We all live inside of this biosphere. And if we're polluting that air, if we're kind of breathing out that toxic energy, then that's what we're going to be breathing back in. We're do, we're, we're living inside of it too. We're breathing that air.
1: That's it. That's the wisdom. I call that moving from uh the patriarchal hubris to ecological humility. And wisdom.
0: Say that again, Terry.
1: We're from- moving from patriarchal hubris, overweening pride, to ecological wisdom, to ecological humility. Th- so, this, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, go I was through. just gonna
0: say this feels like the power over or under versus power with.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Yeah, that you, you teach so much of. It's, this is the really shifting that power stance.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because the essence of the patriarchal culture, and uh, I go into this in the book in detail, the essence of uh, the, in the toxic culture of individualism is that individualism teaches us that we stand apart from nature. That's what it means to be an individual. I'm an individual. I'm distinct from everything else. That's what it means. I'm apart from nature. And patriarchy teaches us we're not just apart from nature. We dominate nature. God gave Adam dominion over all the things that walk and crawl and fly over this earth. Really bad idea. And when we wake up to ecological wisdom, we realize, as you just said, Our relationship is our biosphere. We're not above it. We're in it. We breathe it. And you can choose to pollute your biosphere with a temper tantrum or a demand over here, but you'll breathe in that pollution in your partner's response over there. You're not separate from each other. You're linked. You're in the same atmosphere. And so It's not about when you move into you and me consciousness, when you lose us consciousness, you lose the relationship and it becomes all about me, 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 me and survival. Right. Uh, When you when you move into that, you're facing an adversary and one of you wins and the other one loses. It's all diluted. That's nonsense. The reality is that you're a team, work like a team. For example, the relational or ecological answer to the question who's right and who's wrong is who cares. What matters is how are we going to get through this issue in a way that's going to work for both of us? We love each other. We're a team. How are we going to... uh, It's like the difference between saying, I want sex. I need more sex. I need more sex in my marriage. And saying, honey, we both deserve a nice sex life. What do we need to do to get this jump started? So hugely
0: different. Demanding versus we both deserve.
1: Me, 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 me versus us.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Terry, what this is making me think about is that like in our relationships, we're really creating this space. I think you call it the mysticism of marriage, right? Where Mm -hmm. Where we are healing together. Like as we grow healthier, like in the example I gave of my husband and I. We're growing in those moments, right? We don't grow from moments that there is no discord. We grow in the moments where there's discord, there's a rupture. We repair that rupture and we have learned more about ourselves and each other through that repair.
1: Yeah, intimacy is, <clears throat> I got this from the infant observational researcher, Ed Tronic, and it's a, it's a pillar of my work. But intimacy is an endless dance of harmony, disharmony and repair. And what Tronic is very good about is uh, in our culture, we think that trust comes from unbroken harmony. Yeah. And the reality is trust comes from the whole cycle. Mm -hmm. It comes from messing up painful, messy transactions that lead back to one another and to, I'm sorry I hurt you, honey. I'm sorry I hurt you too. You know what? In the future, I'm going to try and do it that way. Oh, if you would, I would really appreciate that. And then if you really want an A+, plus, how could I support you in making that change? Well, you could be less critical and more appreciative. Great, I'll do that. You know, the relational uh, uh, golden rule, the $10,000 question is, uh, what do you need from me in order to help you change for me in the ways that I want? What do you need from me in order to deliver what I'm asking for? How can I be at your service as you try to please me? Who says that without training?
0: Oh gosh, without training? I, I haven't met that person yet. I'm, they might be out there. They're a happy unicorn, but I haven't met them yet. But what what I'm thinking of is to get to the place where you can ask that question. It takes like a sturdiness and a willingness to really be able to, to look at okay, wait, they're going to ask me to do something that's going to be, or, or, you know, in order, let's say it again. Okay. So in order to be able to ask that question, right. Of my partner, I need to have a certain clarity of what I'm asking for. Mm -hmm. And I have to be able to do my boundary work on my side of the street. If I'm overstepping and asking for more than they're able to deliver, I'm going to be met with grief and I'm going to be half, I'm going to have to be able to hold that grief. I'm going to have to be able to meet myself there.
1: Well, um, it does help to do some thinking and ask yourself whether what you're asking for is, is proportionate and reasonable. Um, But I wouldn't hold back. If you want it, go for it and let your partner give as much or as little as they want to and can.
0: Yeah. And there's a vulnerability in there. On both the asker and the person who's being asked. There's, there's vulnerability in both sides.
1: Yes. One of the things people don't get is that it's vulnerable to assert yourself. Yeah. It's vulnerable to put yourself out there and ask. You know, a lot of, and this is a woman's thing. A lot of women, I, I talk with them about working on their relationships in these ways, And uh, I get something like, oh, God, that's so much work. Why? I mean, why do I have to help him learn how to do the dishes? And and the answer, this is what I call uh, working with the guy you have instead of the one you deserve. Uh, Why do you have to work that hard? Why do you have to put out your needs and teach whoever you're with what pleases you? Because you want them to come through for you, right? You do. That's why. Is why. Is it fair? No, it's not fair. I grant you that. Women in general have to work harder in relationships than many men because men are coming from further behind. You think so? I I do. In our cult, well, it's changing with the age. Younger men are better. But um, by and large, we raise women and girls to be more relationally sensitive and to want more firm relationships then we raise boys and men. The way we turn boys into men is precisely by knocking them out of relationship, Relationship. out of connection to themselves and to others. And then we wonder why they're uh, having so much difficulty uh, pleasing their partner.
0: I I guess I I just uh, feel that we do it to women too, but in different ways, right? Like one of the ways we do it to women is that, to be assertive, to ask for what you need and want, is is kind of like trained out of us in many ways. It's not something that we we teach our our little people growing up to be adults, right? right. Um, and I think it was when I was reading Bonnie Badenoch's work, uh-huh. Terry. I was reading about it, and one of the things that really struck me in in that work is when she was talking about how when we're babies, we're kind of born meeting the world, being able to ask directly for what we need and want. And then like over time, as we grow and our needs aren't met, those, that ability to make those direct requests diminishes. And yeah. so we grow into these adults who don't know how to ask for what we need and want, which is like the, a huge part of being able to be relational is being able to ask for what you need and want.
1: Well, it's a huge part of getting what you need and want.
0: It's a huge part of it, Yeah. yeah.
1: And, you know, if you read the feminist psychology, uh, women, it it operates differently in the two sexes. Uh, And these these are generalities, but nevertheless, women lose the capacity to directly assert themselves at the age of adolescence, 12, 13, 14. Hmm. They, uh, They fall a prey to what the great Carol Gilligan has called the tyranny of the nice and kind. They learn to over They learn to uh, back off and go along to get along. Boys are knocked out of relationship at three, four, five years old.
0: Oof. That early?
1: Yeah. Wow. Before our boys have learned to read, they already have read the code. They know better. Uh, Judy Chu has done research Three, four, five-year-old boys are already less expressive emotionally than girls. They feel their feelings, but they already know better than to express them. Wow. And uh, the, um, the punishment uh, that a girl gets for crossing over into boyland, particularly after almost half a century of feminism, uh, can be bad. Depends, but the punishment that a boy moving over to girl-man faces is truly violent truly reprehensible.
0: Yeah, so this makes me think about, you know, a whole population of people in between the the male-female kind of uh, binary where they're growing up. Maybe there's a lot more people now growing up in a more non-binary framework, a more non-binary world. Um, Yeah. And so it makes me think of like, what are, it's really interesting. I'm, I'm raising two preteens and, uh, hearing even just like their knowledge and their awareness of them and their peers learning about gender and exploring, uh, the, the, you know, the, are they binary? Are they non-binary? Like all of those pieces and who is identifying as how I feel like it's cult like, it's changing. And then also it's not right. Like we could look around and we see laws coming out in different states that are, that are trying to politicize (laughs) people's genders. Um, And so I feel like there's some kind of shift happening in terms of culturally how we're thinking
1: about raising our young. I think that um, the whole uh, issue one of, the, one of the things I wrote about in us is that masculinity currently is at war with itself. Yeah There are two versions of masculinity, one progressive and one very conservative, and they're at war with mm-hmm. each other. You know Well the governor of Texas just labeled support for trans, transgendered kids as child abuse? Yeah. Uh, 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 it, it's just war. And I think that the fate of our humanity depends on uh, how this is going to play out. I I, I really do.
0: I agree with you. I deeply agree with you. And I'm, I'm, here's the thing. I love this work so much because I think it gives us a relational way of seeing relationships, ourselves in the world, raising our kiddos, like the whole gamut. I think it ripples. And my hope... (laughs) Is that we can, like that relational life therapy, that RLT, that us consciousness, that all of the stuff that you teach can become a language that more and more people can learn. Because I think it's in learning this language that we can, we can make shifts.
1: Yeah, because the language is a new map. Yes. Uh, And the map is uh, moving out of lose zero-sum What I call you and me consciousness, Mm -hmm. uh, and moving into the unity, the biosphere, the whole, uh, remembering uh, what you're about, remembering that you, you know, I'll say to somebody, look, I want you to answer less defensively, and I want you to be compassionate to your partner's experience. And they say to me, why would I want to do that? And I say, well, First of all, you love them. And second of all, if you can't get there, are you ready? You have to live with them, dummy. (laughs) Happy spouse, happy house, as they say.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, So uh, I don't think about win-lose or I don't even think about altruism. I think about enlightened self-interest. It's in my interest to keep Belinda happy because I live with her. Like, hello, wake up. You know, it's not, it's not that I'm being such a good guy to her. It's that I'm taking care of our biosphere. That's right. And that's being a good guy to me too.
0: Yeah. And I, I think this is the part, like you, you ask a question in your book. You say, how can we reconcile individualism with the collective good? Yes right? Um, and I, I think this is kind of hitting on that a little bit. You know, the other piece that you talk about um, is a piece about like privileged, what was it? Privileged obliviousness?
1: Privileged obliviousness, yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I, I find this like, I, I I can't help but think about it on mul- so many different layers when I read about this. Do you want to talk a little bit about privileged ob- obliviousness? I can't even say the word. Privileged mm-hmm. oblivion.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I can't, I can't get easy. it off my tongue. <laughs> It's a big one for guys. And uh, it's actually not my phrase. It's a, my friend Jeffrey Kurz. Um, Privilege or obliviousness. You know, the guy who walks in, steps over the pile of stinking diapers, gives his wife a kiss and says, hi, hon, how are you? And it's like, I'd be a lot better if you took out the diapers we're both standing in. Like, hello. And, um, you know, women... Uh, perennially in my office I don't know how how it is for you but in my we'll say yeah if I tell the guy look I want you to grab a bag walk over to the living room clean up the diapers and throw them out he'll do them but if I rely on the guy to notice that the diapers are there needing to be done I could have a very long wait on my hands. yeah And And
0: that's where we need to speak up.
1: That's where you need to speak up. It's like, what is uh, fueling that guy's obliviousness is over a thousand years of male privilege. Men have not been in charge of domestic lives for over a thousand years. And we just don't think about it. I don't care that you're working just as hard as me and making one and a half times my salary. Uh, you're the one that's going to notice the diapers. I'm the guy with what's in the bridge. Uh, You know, what I hear
0: a lot is, is, you know, when I speak up, my partner will, will do the things, but why do I have to keep making the lists?
1: Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. And so I work with guys around being more initiated around shifting their consciousness so that they're more partners. Uh, But on the other hand, uh, this has been going on for a thousand years, and yeah. by and large, men uh, will have a harder time noticing than women will. And partly uh, you fight the good fight, and partly you shrug your shoulders and tell the guy what to do. And if he's a nice guy, he'll do it. Uh, he puts up with being told what to do, and you put up with having to tell
0: him. Mm, that's a nice way to say it,
1: Terry. It, it's not either or; it's both and.
0: Right. Right. It's the both end in there, right? That, that both sides, it's not that one is harder or easier than the other. It's that both require a sort of vulnerability and a humility.
1: Yeah. My son uh, just got, uh, engaged, uh, to a gal who is a classic, uh, New England, uh, sort of, uh, Brahmin, you know, high wasp, uh, and he's not, he, we grew up uh, in blue collar Jewish. And, um, so he's a mess he's, he's a prince and uh i i asked uh how she dealt with his messiness and they both cracked up she didn't say a word uh early on in their living together they were living together for five years uh, she never said one word of criticism about his mess all she would do is take snapshots of uh, the dirty underpants on the floor or the socks on the fridge and email it to him. <laughs> it took him about two months to figure out what was going on and who shaved up. That was a good <laughs> move. Uh, should she, in the best of all possible worlds, should she have to do that work of letting him know? No, but again, this is what I call dealing with the guy you've got instead of the one you deserve. Yeah. Roll up your sleeves and deal with the person that you're dealing with. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And, and so can we come back, can I circle us back, um, in this last bit of the interview, just to kind of like what points you might have for folks who want to get better at this side of the work, at doing the work on their side of the street, at not pointing their finger at their partner, at looking at themselves, at being in that observational space, right? There's, there's like so much that, um, that can help us move into that more observational mindset, right? Right. Knowing about it is super important, but experiencing how to get there.
1: Well, and that's what the whole book's about. Is You can cultivate moving from your, I call it whoosh, you know, the wave that comes over you, fight, flight, or fix. Uh, And understanding your automatic responses, getting to know your adaptive child, Meeting your own adaptive child with compassion. Mm. Don't be hard. Don't meet harshness with harshness. Uh, meet harshness with loving firmness.
0: Right, and that even goes towards yourself.
1: Yeah, and 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 working with the immature parts of you, rather than either uh, having attitude about them, or running from them, or denying them, or trying to control them. But at the end of the day, the immature parts of you are not the ones that are going to drive the bus you are. And one of the things I say, I know you've heard me say it, Rebecca, uh, when an inner child kicks up, you put them on your lap, you put your arms around them, you hear out what they have to say, you love them up, and you take their sticky hands off the steering wheel. You're in the backseat. I'm dealing with my partner, not you. Right.
0: You know, I think... It's so important to remember that part of our work when we're dealing with those inner parts, when we're dealing with those sticky-fingered, adaptive child, wounded child parts, is that our job is to be present with them in a way that offers them guidance, offers them nurturing, but also sets limits.
1: Yeah, yeah, you are not going to act out on my camera. Yeah. One of my eight main uh, sayings is uh, maturity comes... When we deal with our inner children and don't foist them off on our partners. To it's
0: with. my favorite. <laughs> and it's, it's partly my favorite because I'm realizing that that's like the work right there. Right. When we deal with our inner children and we don't foist them off on our partners, like that could take a lifetime to actually yeah. learn how to do.
1: Yeah. And, but the beauty is that it can be cultivated.
0: Yeah. Uh, and shape- that every inch makes a difference.
1: Every inch makes a difference. And every time you take a breath and in this moment choose something more mature, relational, loving, functional, maybe it's to stand down, Mm -hmm. maybe it's to stand up, whatever the moment is uh, that needs. Uh, Every time you do that, you are building strong relational muscles and they get stronger as you practice. That's right.
0: You know, one of my favorite quotes from the book is this. You may not be able to directly control your partner, but you may be able to influence your interaction with your partner by changing your own behavior. Yes. That is so empowering, Terry.
1: Yeah. The example I give is a guy on uh, a a huge guy on one end of a seesaw uh, haggling every passerby who walks by going, could you please help me get that skinny broad down from there? And, you know, uh, the poor guy has tried everything under the sun to convince her to come down. uh, And she's just up there on her perch. And it takes either a book like Us or a a weekend workshop or a therapist to sort of tap this guy on the shoulder and go, hey, listen, if you go up, she'll come down. (laughs) Try changing your position and see what happens. Can I give you an example of that? Yeah, please do. And this is very gendered. I, I give this example to a lot of men. So uh, we have a house in Martha's Vineyard, in our little house we worked for forever. Uh, the kids are little. We're on vacation in Martha's Vineyard, and I get a babysitter. I get a babysitter arranged for that, heroic me. Uh, and uh, Belinda and I are out at a nice romantic dinner, and I'm ready for a romantic evening. And we're sitting to, at dinner. And uh, after the first glass of wine, or even half a glass, Belinda starts going on about, she's worried about Alexander, and she's really mad at Justin, and this teacher gave her a hard time, and this girlfriend was giving her grief, and, and I'm sitting there, and I'm steamed. It's like, this is a romantic evening, this is a beautiful, day. what are you, and I start counting her. Well, don't worry about that. Well, by about the fourth counter, she gets mad. Then I get mad, and then we're both mad, and we escalate, and that's how that goes. This happens four times. Uh, um, I'm not a quick learner. On the fifth time, I say to myself, you're a couples therapist. No, you're not going to do this again. Try something different. So this time, number five, we're sitting at dinner. And Belinda starts going on about the tensions that she's dealing with, her worries, her fights, her concerns, her this is that. An and instead of getting mad that she's taking me away from my romantic, idyllic evening, I roll with it. I'm sorry, that feels bad. Tell me more about it. Uh huh. And what did she do? And sure enough, maybe 15, 20 minutes go by, Belinda has herself a little cry. Dabs her eyes, the true story, comes out, all smiles, and says, that feels great. Let's, let, let's have a lovely evening. And we do. And it has nothing to do with Belinda. It has everything to do with my changing my behavior on my side of the seesaw.
0: Yeah.
1: That's what working on a relationship looks like.
0: Yeah. It, it is huge, Terry. Like this this bit about like being able to be there and roll with it. Rolling with like, like, as you say, let the bad thing happen.
1: Yes. And maybe your new move is rolling with it instead of trying to control it or reacting. Maybe your move is not rolling with it. And standing up for yourself and doing something different. Uh, There's no rule book that says this is the thing that you need to do. What you need to do is move into whatever feels uncomfortable and vulnerable to you. And for some of us, being open and truly uh, vulnerable feels vulnerable. And for others of us, standing up and speaking for yourself feels vulnerable. uh, But... It's what does this biosphere need from me right now?
0: Right. And so in order to get there, I just want to kind of bring this home for our listeners. The more we can observe ourselves and see like, this is how I tend to show up. This is what my whoosh looks like. I go into fight, flight, fix. This is kind of what in RLT, we call it like a core negative image, right? This is the the way that things tend to play out in our relationship. And right. this is the stance I tend to take to to do something Different than that. Right. To move into a place of vulnerability and do something different. That tends to be the thing that gets you out
1: yeah, of I the mean, mess. advance. Yeah. If you do something different, something different can happen. You know, here's a simple tool that, that your listeners can take on with them. Um, when you're feeling emotional and you want to share your emotion with your partner, as an exercise for the next month. I'd like everybody listening to do this. Instead of your usual go to emotion, I want you to, instead of going there first, go there last. And instead of your usual go to emotion, I want you to go underneath that to other emotions.
0: So if your usual emotion is anger, go under it to something that may be like sadness. If your usual emotion, is fear go under it to something else that might be
1: strength
0: strength yeah
1: I, I have a saying i want the uh uh mighty to melt i want the weak to stand up yeah. so if your usual emotion if you're more of an accommodator and you're uh, you usually be a small you know frightened I, I hope you're not offended by this but find your strength Find, get pissed off. Find your power. Get big. If your usual emotion is indignant and how dare you, and blah, 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 come down. I want the mighty to melt. I want the weak to stand up. Mm. Whatever your usual lead in is, take a breath, go under that to a, a different emotion. Lead with that and see what that does to the
0: pattern. Mm, I love that, Terry. Thank you. Thank you. I'm gonna I'm gonna let folks kind of sit with that. I'm, I think that's a really good place for us to land today. Beautiful. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so excited for this book to be released into the world.
1: Oh, thank you. I'm uh, I'm very proud of it, and um, I really do think it has the power to change people's lives if they read it and uh, uh, do some of the things that are suggested in it.
0: I agree with you. Mm -hmm. Well, thanks for joining us, and I'm really hoping that today's episode has you thinking a lot about things like patriarchy, supremacy, and toxic individualism, and how they're cultural values that are really at the root of so many of the political problems that we face today. Systemic change can feel really overwhelming, if not impossible. But changing the power structure within our most intimate relationships, that's something that you can do starting today. That's it for today, folks. Take care of each other and yourselves best you can. Learn more about my counseling practice intensives and online workshops over at connectfulness.com. And if you haven't already... Check out our sister podcast, Why Does My Partner? Why Does My Partner tackles questions from listeners who want help in relationship. These questions, your questions, send them in, Our relationship gold. They echo the conversations that take place over and over again in our therapy offices and take us deep into conversations around the skills that are right at the heart of relationship intimacy, greater health, and fulfillment. Jules, Vicky, and I also offer Essential Skills Relationship boot camps. You can learn more about those at whydoesmypartner.com. You can listen to this podcast wherever you get your audio. We'd love if you follow and subscribe to the show, share it with those who may also be interested. I want to express my deepest gratitude to the musicians behind the beautiful soundtrack— For this podcast, Sarah and Chris Ferris, who recorded and mixed this music at Kidney Stone Studio. And thank you, dear listeners. It's such a pleasure to be on this journey with you. This podcast is produced by me, Rebecca Wong, and it's copyrighted by Connectfulness Counseling. And we'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram over at Connectfulness. Take care and be well. Until next time.